I think that ski areas of our size are really best operated as multi-generational family businesses. That passing on the ski area to, you know, for example, I have two daughters and I hope that one or both of them gets involved is really the best route for ski areas of our size. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester, talking some giants of the Midwest today. First, though, remember to stop what you're doing and subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. Also, follow the storm on Instagram or Twitter at Storm Ski Journal. The Storm Skiing podcast is brought to you by Mountain Gazette. Founded in 1966, Mountain Gazette is a large format biannual print title celebrating mountain culture. When this thing drops on your porch, and I say that because it's too big to fit in your mailbox, you're going to wonder whether you should read the thing or frame it. The cover to the most recent issue, 195, will absolutely floor you. It captures a hotshot firefighter mid-blaze battling one of last year's monster wildfires. And it's also unfortunately timely as those fires have ignited once again across the West. It's not all high drama, though. It's also a lot of fun. Photographer Jason Roman drags us down snowy roads on motorcycles with the Crazy Eights Motorcycle Club in upstate New York. And Ryan Salm's ecstatic photo essay on cliff jumping will have you Googling directions to your nearest mountain swim hole. Mountain Gazette owner and editor Mike Rogie is the engine driving this whole thing. And his opening editorial is absolutely beautiful. It's the kind of thing you read slowly and repeatedly. And when you do get to that firefighting essay by Amanda Monti, you're going to be moved by the courage and dedication of the firefighters and appalled by how little we pay them to risk their lives for half the year. There's a whole lot more. You need to subscribe today at mountaingazette.com. Enter code GOHIRE10, all one word, for 10% off subscriptions. That will ensure that you get issue 196 when it drops this fall. Use code EASTCOAST, all one word, for 10% off everything else, including vintage magazine covers, which make great art for your home office or living room. Mountain Gazette. When in doubt, go higher. Episode 52, Charles Skinner, co-president and co-owner of Lutzen Mountains, Minnesota, and president and owner of Granite Peak, Wisconsin. Today, we are going to the very top of the Midwest skiing food chain. Granite Peak is the biggest and best ski area in Wisconsin. Lutzen is the biggest and best ski area in Minnesota. And guess what? They're both owned by the same person, Charles Skinner. It's not easy to make a ski area into what skiers want a ski area to be. We want interesting, varied terrain. We want good, reliable lifts. We want a big trail footprint. And we want a place that keeps moving, that never stops growing and evolving for the better. That's what Granite Peak and Lutzen are. And guess what? There's nothing inevitable about these being the best ski areas in their respective states. And two of the tops in the entire region. These are premier ski areas because Skinner never stops investing and never stops dreaming. Look, I'm not going to go so far as to claim that these are the best two ski areas in the Midwest because Mount Bohemia is something very, very unique and special. But these are the two best traditional ski resorts in the Midwest, the kind of place where every level of skier can show up and have a good time. And as we'll hear today, Skinner is far from done with either mountain. 
Both are set to basically double in size if their proposed expansion plans go through. He is going to tell us all about what he has in mind and how he's going to get there. Let's do it. My guest today is the co-president and co-owner of Lutzen Mountains, Minnesota, and the president and owner of Granite Peak Ski Area in Wisconsin. Lutzen is the largest ski area in Minnesota with an 825-foot vertical drop and 95 runs spread across four peaks. Granite Peak is the oldest continuously operating ski area in the Midwest and the largest ski area in Wisconsin with 74 runs on a 700-foot vertical drop. His family has owned Lutzen for more than four decades, and he has owned Granite Peak since 2000. He is also chairman of the board of the Minnesota Ski Areas Association. Charles Skinner is my guest. Charles, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, hello, how are you? Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm actually the, uh, the past chairman of the Minnesota Ski Areas Association. I resigned uh, and turned it over to, to a very capable person uh, earlier this year. And who is who is holding that position now? Uh, Peter from uh, Welch Village. Oh, terrific. Uh, that, that looks like a terrific little ski area. I've never been there, but I, I was looking at the trail map the other day, and uh, it looks really nice. Yes. Yes, it's a, it's a nice, very nice ski area. Uh, so, Charles, I, I want to first of all extend my condolences for the passing of your father, Charles Skinner III, on June 17th. Uh, tell us a little bit about his legacy, both in the ski industry and as a man. Well, you you probably didn't intend this to be the case, but today is is actually his birthday, so oh, wow. I've been uh, thinking a lot about him. He would have been eighty eight today. Um, he was um, he was a, a larger than life personality. Um, he was very smart. Um, editor of his law review at University of Minnesota when he was there, and just a a real pioneer and self made person. Um, he invented snow guns as a lot of the ski area uh, founders in those days did. And in fact, uh, traveled out to Aspen uh, in the 60s sometime to, to help Aspen learn how to make snow. And in 1962, your father actually founded a ski area, Sugar Hills there in Minnesota. Uh, talk about that ski area and your memories of it. Well, you know, I was four years old at the time and, and that's really where I, I grew up. And, uh, it, uh, it was a wonderful place to grow up. It's, uh, you know, he, um, you know, essentially made the ski area himself. It was a chamber of commerce project and he was the one that was most involved and, you know, kind of did all the bulldozing of the entire road, which was two miles long. And most of the, most of the ski runs himself, uh, it was, um, it was a big project and it was kind of, I think, you know, his, his main project, uh, uh, of his life at that time. So there wasn't a direct line between Sugar Hills and Lutzen. Your father actually went out east to run Sugarloaf, which is one of the largest ski areas in the Northeast. Uh, what took him out there? Well, um, he, um, my parents got divorced around that time. And uh, he, uh, I think he wanted to, uh, uh, to, you know, kind of have some new experiences and, and Sugarloaf approached him. He, he had proven himself in, in Minnesota and uh, Sugarloaf was actually owned by, by Scott Paper Company at, at the time. And, and, and that's what brought him out to, out to Maine. He first worked at uh, another mountain called Squaw, Squaw Mountain. 
yeah, that, that's uh, Squaw Mountain is actually in the process of being sold right now. Um, and they, they're hopefully going to reopen the upper mountain. Uh, did, did you go out to Maine? Yes. With him? Yes. Um, I, I visited him a number of times. And what are your memories of, of Sugarloaf? Oh, it was a great mountain, uh, you know, big and kind of wild and um, in the middle of what seemed like nowhere. Um, but, um, you know, coming from the Midwest, it was it was it was huge. I don't, I don't think I had skied uh, too much else out of the Midwest at that time. So it was a it was an exciting place to, to ski. Yeah, Sugarloaf still feels like the middle of nowhere, but uh, once you get there, you're pretty happy skiing. So he spent some time at Sugarloaf, obviously a, a big, interesting, challenging mountain to run, uh, and then eventually came back to Minnesota to purchase Lutzen and run that mountain. What took him back across the country back home? Well, I think he was he was coming back home. I think that uh, kind of the big corporate culture um, uh, he, he, he didn't feel at home with, and um, he, you know he was actually offered a position at, at Stowe and I think he just decided he didn't that didn't fit him well so he came back and I think also our uh, Sugar Hills needed some of some of his own personal attention at the time. So take us back here Charles I think everyone thinks of Lutzen now as probably the finest resort in the Midwest it's big it's it's kind of larger than than what you would expect in that region. But this wasn't always the case. Take us back in time. What did Lutzen look like when your father showed up in 1980? Well, a, a lot of the pieces were, were honestly there. I mean, this, this area was over 30 years old, having started in uh, 1948. Um, and, uh, you know, the two, it started on kind of the two smaller peaks that are there. And those were reasonably well-developed. And um, also they had put in an old... Palma on, on Mystery Mountain, you know, one of those old uh, Palma lifts that kind of catapults you about 20 feet forward when you when you load it. So <laughs> there was a there was a lot of a lot of pieces were there. So how did your father go about modernizing and expanding Lutzen once he got there? Well, I think his his main focus was, you know, Moose Mountain, which is by far the largest uh you know, Midwest peak that was there of the four peaks. And uh, that was totally undeveloped. So he, he installed chairlifts there um, and uh, bought uh, Stowe's old gondola and installed the gondola between, between the base area and, and the top of Moose Mountain. That's such an interesting concept in the Midwest. That's the only gondola at a Midwest ski area that I'm aware of. What was the logic? And, and it doesn't rise a lot. It only rises about 300 feet. So, so, what was the logic of putting that in and, and how does that change the experience of skiing at Lutzen as opposed to those pre-gondola days? Well, um, it's, it's really pretty necessary at Lutzen. It, 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 it's more of a transportation lift um, because the distance from, from Moose Mountain back to the base areas is, is, is uh, pretty far. And you can ski back and forth but it takes more of an advanced skier to, to make it uh, reasonable because it gets to be flat and you have to carry your speed and that kind of thing. So it's really necessary to connect the ski area together. Um, and I think my dad's logic was that, that Lutzen, you know, we have, we've always had over a thousand acres, um, is large enough to really warrant having, having a lift like a gondola. And so it's been kind of our, our symbol, our, um, you know, it's kind of an iconic uh, symbol for, for Lutzen for that reason. 
And that's an interesting piece of trivia, Charles. I hadn't realized that that was the old Stowe gondola. And you actually upgraded that gondola not too long ago. What did you do with those old cabins? Uh, we sold them. They sold like in five seconds on the internet. Uh, we <laughs> also course. had had Loon's uh, gondola too, which we'd purchased later for for parts and more ga- more uh, gondola cabins. Um, but uh, yeah, we we uh, purchased a new gondola. It was uh, by that time it was you know forty forty some years old, and it was definitely time to to install a new uh, modern gondola, which has has proved to be very successful. Did you keep a few of the cabins around from those old Loon and Stowe gondolas just to decorate the resort? I think we have a few left, but uh, they were, you know, they're, they take a lot of work to, to keep, uh, to keep in, you know, so that they're presentable. So meanwhile, so he was, your father's fixing up Lutzen. Sugar Hills at some point went out of business. It's now a lost scaria. Fill us in on what was happening with Sugar Hills all this time and, and what its eventual fate was. Well, Sugar Hills, you know, we also had a summer resort there too, um, and 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 that's continued. That was about a mile and a half away from the ski area. Uh, Sugar Hills had not quite three hundred vertical feet. It was uh, really interestingly developed by Sel Hannah and my father laying it out. It had uh, kind of three separate areas with. Uh, pods of runs um, that you could kind of ski back and forth between, you know, really over quite a distance. So it was, it was a very interesting ski area, but it, um, it didn't have a big vertical. It was a destination ski area from Minneapolis, nearly four hours from Minneapolis. So, um, and about a few years before it, it, it couldn't make it anymore. Um, there were two other ski areas that were developed that were quite a bit larger. One was Giants Ridge and one was a, a Spirit Mountain, and they were both developed with uh, public funds, and and were developed very nicely. And so it it just didn't. At some point, it just couldn't compete. Do you remember about when that closed down? Uh, there was a, like in the early nineteen eighties, and it was it was kind of odd because my dad originally purchased Lutzen because Lut- because Sugar Hills was doing so well <laughs> that he he felt he needed. Um, you know, more, more, uh, depreciation or something like that. Um, but a few years later, after those other scaries I mentioned were developed, uh, business just, uh, just, uh, plummeted. So what is happening with Sugar Hills that, that, with that land now, do you still own that land? Is it, is it, is it just kind of fading away? Do you not know? Um, the, the land was, um, was put into conservation. Um, and, um, the cross-country trails that my dad had developed uh, are, are still there, and so it's still used as a cross-country uh, center. But uh, no, the, the the ski area infrastructure, like the buildings and things, just kind of have been sitting there and and um, kind of looks like a ghost town. Are the lifts still on the mountain, or did you sell those off? Um, they weren't sold off, but I think they've they've uh, they've mostly been removed now. So as your father's spending that decade at Lutzen building it up, you're living on the East Coast. Uh, what took you out there? Um, I had lived in, in Oregon and went back to New York City to go to go to law school. And and how long were you out in, in New York and what eventually brought you back to Minnesota? Well, I ended up practicing law um, in New York City or for a New York City law firm for about 10 years. And, um, you know, having grown up at a small resort ski area, um, you know, that was really in my blood. And I always felt that that 
was something I would eventually end up wanting to do, which I did. And my dad was talking about retirement at that point, and it, it all seemed like a good fit. So you went in on ownership with Tom Ryder, your brother-in-law. Talk a little bit about that relationship and how the two of you split up the responsibilities for running that resort. Well, Tom is a, a great guy. He's two years younger than myself, and he's married to my, my sister, Anne. Uh, he's an attorney as well and an engineer. And um, we kind of split up the company in, in two parts, uh, Part maybe partly because of his engineer background. He uh, was in charge of the outdoor departments, maintenance and lifts and that kind of thing. And I was in charge of, of uh, all of the indoor departments, marketing, administration, ticket sales, rentals, et cetera. So that's, it's, it's been a, g- a good partnership. It, that, that's really, it's really interesting, Charles. It really mirrors um, Tim Meyer, who I had on the, on the podcast recently. He owns Cabrefay along with his cousin, and they split it up the exact same way. Tim does the outside stuff, the lifts, the snowmaking. Um, and then Pete, his cousin, does all the indoor stuff, the administration, the uh, the, the staffing, all, all that kind of stuff. So, so it's interesting um, that, that it kind of mirrors this other Midwestern ski area. Yes, that is interesting. So by the time you took over Luton, your, your father had been investing in it quite a bit. So uh, what had been done in that decade and, and what did you still have to do? Where, where did you prioritize first in developing it? Well, what my father had done was, was started to expand on Moose Mountain and uh, he'd put in the bull lift um, and then a, a second lift as well. And, and the gondola had been put in a few years earlier. Um, but there was, there was still a lot to do. A lot of the original infrastructure um, had gone back decades from the previous owners. And um, there was a lot of potential still to be, to be, to be added to the ski area. So, we, you know, we focused on um, trying to make it more of a complete ski area and um, started adding uh, glades and, and more advanced runs uh, so that you know, really everybody in the family could have uh, good terrain to, to ski on. Yeah, that's really interesting, Charles, the, the development of glades. And I kind of watched that happen in slow motion over time. When I was skiing, I grew up in Michigan and skiing there back in the 90s. I don't know if there was a single marked glade on any trail map in the state. I think maybe Marquette Mountain had one. And this was before Mount Bohemia came online. So it was really just uh, the emphasis was on groomers. So talk about that deliberate decision to start building out those glades and, and creating a more varied mountain? Well, Lutzen uh, for a ski area in the Midwest gets quite a bit of snow. It gets uh, about 10 feet of, of, of natural snow a year. So it has a good uh, kind of the basic ingredients to have pretty good uh, glade skiing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time out uh, in Oregon and Washington skiing when I was in high school and college. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of glade skiing out there. And I, when I came back and uh, spent some more time at Lutzen, it just seemed like a natural, um, a natural evolution. Also, a lot of the terrain at Lutzen is, um, you know, kind of intermediate in, in, in grade. And, um, you know, it, it really fit to, to, you know, to ski through the trees and, uh, you know, kind of the adventure of skiing is, is more apparent when you have trees next to you and, um, 
And uh, you know, the other the other piece of it is you you know we're fundamentally a, a family destination ski resort, five hours from Minneapolis, and um, people come up in family groups or groups of couples and you know there's there's beginners there's intermediates there's advanced skiers there's experts there's more adventurous people and i, I what lutzen really needed was was more terrain for the more adventurous and, and experts so that when people came up in those groups they wouldn't get bored after you know a day or two but you know could come up for longer longer times and everybody would would feel satisfied with their experience what was that process like, Charles? You, you know, you mentioned this is a family-owned ski area. Did you actually just go walk the mountain and say, "Hey, these would be good glades to thin here"? Did you talk to your skiers, kind of see where they were going anywhere, anyway, the, or talk to the mountain ops people? What, what was the process like of deciding what were the appropriate areas to glade out on Lutzen? Well, um, you know, I think it was just kind of you know more personal judgment of of where where it would make a good glade. You know, there's there's it needs to be down the fall line and you know, there's certain, there's only a limited number of places that are down the fall line and not too steep or, or not too heavily wooded with brush and that kind of thing. So, you know, it was really kind of more developing all of the places that were potential, you know, had good potential for, for the glades. And do you feel, and we'll talk about the expansion in a few minutes, but as far as the current trail footprint goes, do you feel like the Glade network is fully built out to its maximum potential? Um, it's, it's mostly fully built out. Um, I would say, you know, the vast majority is fully built out. It's not fully maintained perfectly well. Um, it's, you know, as you probably know, it's, it takes a lot of, a lot of maintenance to really, um, um, keep glades in good shape, uh, trees fall down, brush starts to come back up and that kind of thing. So I, I think that's really our emphasis going forward is to, to really um, make sure that the, the glades are in great shape, that there's, you know, wide enough and, um, and um, you know, just make the experience uh, safe and uh, enjoyable for people. So you also added, in addition to all those glades, Charles, you also added a lot of trails. One of your first big expansions that came online after you took ownership was Mystery Mountain. Talk about that expansion and how that changed the experience of being at Lutzen. Well, Mystery wasn't so much as an expansion. It had a Palma lift, which had kind of just stopped working. Um, and so it had been not not used for a couple of years but that was one of the you know mountains that had gone back for and had been used by under the previous owners for for decades and um so it was it just a matter of of, of adding a new chairlift uh, for for that mountain it's um you know it's a it's a beautiful view from the top of of mystery mountain and um you know it's i would say it's lower intermediate train but it's very very pleasurable. It's a long, long route for a Midwest run. It's over a mile. And then off the backside of Moose Mountain, you added a trio of of double black diamonds on the north face. Just talk about the decision to make that small expansion. Well, I think the the, the main impetus for that was just to add more expert terrain. There was a several uh, really good uh, expert or upper inter, upper advanced uh, runs on on Eagle Mountain, and um, but the runs on the backside of Moose are, are very steep. And so, you know, again, the theme of trying to to uh, 
make terrain for everybody in the family or everybody of a larger group that might come, including experts, uh, uh, we wanted to uh, make those runs on the backside of moose. And can you ski the trees in between those double blacks? Um, there, it's really too steep. I mean, you can kind of get through there, but it's it's very very steep. Did you have a hard time finding lines down that face? Um, no, it's 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 pretty pretty. You just go go straight. I mean, it's not the kind of run where you you make turns in it um, because it's 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 very steep. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess what I was saying is, is since it's so steep in the trees in between, did you have a hard time finding places where you could cut the trails? Yes. Um, there's some cliffs in between um, and some, you know, rock outcropping. So, you know, it had to walk up and down and, and uh, find, find a suitable, suitable locations. And how long did it take you to do that? Well, they were developed over a number of years. Um, you know, the snowmaking is, is difficult on those too. So it's a really... Uh, it was necessary to develop the snowmaking at the same time. And it's a very difficult place to make snow as well because it, it's it's so steep. I mean, you really can't walk around there. Um, but um, no, it, it was fairly straightforward other than, other than that. So there's an interesting bit of trivia here, Charles, that I'd love your insight on. So your website, the Lutzen website, says that the vertical drop is 1,088 feet but that the lift serve vertical drop is 825 feet. Can you just explain the differential there? And, and is there a summit that the lifts don't go to? Uh, what's, what's going on with that dif- difference between the vertical drops? Um, no, it's, it's, it's not that the summit is higher. It's that the, the bottom uh, can be skied below where our existing lifts are. The, uh, the, the family that started uh, uh, Lutzen ski area was the, uh, the Nelson family. And uh, uh, they at the time, they owned uh, Lutzen Resort, which is below the ski area, um, as well as the ski area. And um, you can actually ski down past our lifts all the way down to Lutzen Resort. So that's the, uh, which is on, on Lake Superior itself. Could you ever put a lift down there to go from the resort up to the mountain? Well, you can ski down there, but it's 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 too flat. Right now, there's a, uh, a golf course that's been developed in between the ski area. Um, and Lutzen Resort. So you can do it, but it's it's just kind of something you might do at the end of the day and uh, skate a bit and, and that kind of thing. Do you ever think about it, though, just to get that <laughs> thousand foot vertical drop, that you just get that number up? Um, I don't think that's something, you know, we, we don't own Lutzen Resort, so, um, and there's the golf course in between. So no, not just, we wouldn't do that just to kind of get a, a little more vertical from a lift serve standpoint. So we talked about the gondola earlier and in 2015, you put in a brand new one. That is just a beautiful lift. Talk a little bit about that replacement and why you decided it was time for an upgrade and how it's changed uh, being there and skiing there. Well, it was definitely time for an upgrade. The, the cabins uh, were four person cabins and they, they really only comfortably fit two people. Um, and um you know, at least in the ways people want want space and comfort for themselves. And everything was just getting old. I mean, it was getting close to, to 50, 50 years and they weren't handicap accessible, you know, kind of on and on. Um, so, you know, the new gondola has made all the difference in the world. It's, um, you know, you can wheel in and out with a wheelchair, for example, and it's just a lot more comfortable and 
confidence inspiring lift than than a, a near 50 year old lift and it's been surprising how how much customers have really um, attracted to it. I mean, our summer business has just gone gone way up. Um, I mean, it's it's always been strong, but it's just it's it's amazing how much it just continues to grow. It's it's interesting when you look at pictures of that gondola. It doesn't look like the Midwest at all because as it approaches Moose Mountain, there's that big cliff and it just it looks so dramatic talk a little bit about the process of of building that and the engineering challenges there i I thought it was really interesting that you kept the old gondola in place as you built the new one so just talk a little bit about that how the process of putting that in and and if there were any challenges or or any unexpected things that happened uh to 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 get that new upgrade in well we left the the old lift in the first year because we didn't want to lose all of our summer business and um so we were able to to have a somewhat different alignment for the new lift to 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 make that possible. Um, you know, I don't know if you know, but Lutzen is is located in a a very strong summer destination. Uh, there's actually quite a few more uh, visitors during the summer to to that county and where Lutzen is located than there are in, in the winter. So we had a a strong summer business that we didn't want to want to lose for that summer. Um, the lift, uh, you know, we, we had it in, installed by the manufacturer on, on a, um, you know, they essentially did, did almost all the installation except for the, the foot, the concrete footings. And, and, and I think that that's really the, the way for, for, to go for, at least for a, a smaller, medium sized area like ourselves, it doesn't, doesn't have the, the, um, you know lots of staff to to install this but it, it went very smoothly they they brought in the the lifts and the i mean the towers and you know installed most of it by helicopter um but it was exciting to watch you also made another big upgrade another big lift upgrade to moose mountain back in 2013 where you pulled out the old caribou double and the bull double and you dropped that caribou express six pack in place are you happy with the way that that project turned out as far as modernizing Lutzen went Yes, uh, the, the new lift uh, can can serve about two thirds of the of the mountain, uh, just that lift itself. And so, we had left in the second lift originally. Um, um, we took the one out where the the new high speed lift went, but we left the second lift called Bull originally. But it just it it took longer to to go up. Uh, the, the old lift than it would to kind of traverse over and, and take the new high-speed lift by, by several minutes. So we just ended up taking out that lift as well. And why did you leave Timberwolf in place? Uh, Timberwolf is, you can ski only about mm, about half of, a little over half of, of, the, of, of the trail. Um, then you have a long traverse back to, uh, to the high-speed lift. So it wasn't so much to, to provide uh, redundancy. It was more to uh, just to give a complete experience. So Timberwolf's a pretty old riblet. You actually have quite a few old doubles on Lutzen still. You have uh, the bridge double on Eagle Mountain that dates to 1972. Uh, the 10th Mountain triple is Snowmass old wood run lift, which they installed in 1973. Mystery Mountain and Uller are also served by old doubles. Uh, any plans for upgrades to any of those old lifts? Um, yeah, I think that our next project would be to replace the, the bridge double. It's a, it's a pinch point. Um, it doesn't have enough capacity. 
it's affected by the wind too much at the top of Eagle Mountain. So we, it was actually a project that we were considering for this year, but we decided not to do that. Um, and um, yeah, but uh, it's definitely kind of our, our next priority project. And we would replace it either with a fixed grip quad or potentially with a high speed, although there's just, there's not a lot of terrain that it would serve to maybe justify the high speed. Um, and you know, there's pretty high cost differential between uh, high speeds and fixed. Yeah, you've put in a lot of high speeds at Granite Peak, and that now really has a, a really great lift system. Um, it, it seems like that's what you're favoring in general, but are, are you thinking, do you think those were the right decisions to put in all those high speeds, or, or are you seeing that there's some situations where fixed grip is more efficient? Well, it, you know, it really depends on the length, um, and, um, and also, you know, I've really tried to make part of the brand of Granite Peak uh, to be the high speeds. And I'd love to do that at Lutzen too, but you know, there's just there's so many uh, competing uh, needs for capital that sometimes you decide that maybe a fixed grip is is sufficient. Well, one of the biggest outlays of capital would be if this potential expansion goes through. So this is uh, this is a really enormous project. It would double the size of the ski area. Tell us about the proposed expansion at Lutzen and where you are in that process. Well, Lutzen is uh, almost entirely surrounded by public land. And um, so we had pretty much used up all of the potential terrain that we had um, for, for ski runs uh, in our existing footprint of a little over a thousand acres. So really to, to expand Lutzen, there was no choice but to, to, to try to get a permit to expand onto forest service land. So that's what we've done. Um, I look at that expansion as really the expansion for the next generation of ownership at, at, at Lutzen. Uh, hopefully that's my, my daughters or some combination of Tom's kids and my kids. Um, but, um, you know, really you need to not just stay static. Um, people expect a, a big experience when they, when they're on vacation, and um, that's what we, that's what this new train would provide would be, you know, days after days of, of, of skiing and looking around and enjoying, you know, a, a run that you, you hadn't seen for at all, um, even though you'd been there for a number of days. So let's go through this expansion. I'm looking at the potential map right now, and it, it's just amazing. I'll include this with the article that I, uh, the accompanies the podcast when I publish this, but, but just looking right now kind of skiers right from what is now the top of, uh, of Moose Mountain, it looks like you just want to keep developing along that same ridge on Moose Mountain and there would be two lifts in there. So just talk about that as far as uh, trails and, and, and what kind of lifts you have in mind. Just what, what do you have in mind for that, that pod there? Um, well, that, that train is, is like the rest of the train on, on, moose mountain but it it doesn't have kind of the the steeper sections or the flatter section so it's a much more even grade um you know it's kind of in the the heart of the train that that really everybody enjoys uh, it's it's an intermediate train but you know um advanced skiers in, enjoy it as well it, it it faces directly towards lake superior so it has 
amazing views. At that point, it's only a little over a mile away from Lake Superior. So you kind of have those Lake Tahoe views. And um, um, we, um, I, don't, I don't know which version of the, of the expansion plan that you're looking at, but originally we were, we were considering going on the backside of, of Moose Mountain. And uh, we've since uh, uh, changed that in conversations with the Forest Service uh, to add another lift on the front side of, of Moose Mountain and not, and not go at all on the backside. And I, I think, you know, from a skier's perspective, that's a good trade-off because those runs on the backside were, were pretty short, um, whereas the, the runs on the front side really hit kind of that sweet spot that every skier can enjoy. Yeah, the version I have here, Charles, is from April 2020. So I'll have to make sure that I get the most up to date from you to accompany the podcast. So what what kinds of lifts are you thinking for the base to summit lifts? Or have you not gotten that far? Um, we have gotten that far. Um, uh, one of the lifts, I think we would probably want to do as a combination gondola and chairlift. Uh, we, we anticipate a another um, chalet at the top of the mountain where we could do weddings and that kind of thing. Um, and, and that would be, that would be the main lift over there. And the other ones we would hope to, to have, uh, as a high speed lifts as well. High speed quads or six packs. Yeah. High speed quads. Are these, these runs look like they're the same vertical drop as what's on Moose Mountain right now. Is that right? It's about, about eight fifty or so. Yes. And then it looks like you have planned to glade in between every single trail. Well, um, there are certain areas that we wouldn't glade and there are certain areas that, that maybe have like a uh, dense cedar forest and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, working with the forest service, they've wanted to keep, you know, certain sections uh, of it, uh, um, you know, more intact. And so we've modified that a little bit, but we would, you know, there's most of the area has the potential to be gladed. And, um, I think that that's a, a, a good, um, a good balance, uh, for what skiers are looking for now. They want some groomed terrain and then they also want some more unpredictable terrain as well. The version of the potential expansion plan I'm looking at also includes a new pod off the backside of Eagle. Is that still in play? Um, yeah, that, that is, is really a great beginner terrain. The other side of the coin that, that Lutzen uh, has a limited quantity of is kind of the, the, you know, the, just the beginner, the first time skier, as well as, you know, they've been skiing a few times. So th- this, uh, this is beginner train from the top of Eagle Mountain all the way down, which we really have almost no similar train. And this would be much better. And is there a scenario where you would consider thinning some glades there as well? Because I've, I've run into this a few times where a few mountains in upstate New York actually have green glades. And I, I really like that when I'm taking my kids up because it, it seems like so often glades are reserved for the experts, right? It's like the double diamond. It's the fierce terrain. And that's hard to go into the first time. And it, it, I really like this idea of kind of a a gentle green circle glade where you can just get comfortable kind of being in the trees, know to, to look between them, not at them. And, 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 uh, and for kids or, or, or any novice who's looking to work their way up and build their skills, I think that's really cool to have that. So is that something you've thought about kind of thinning out any areas of trees in there? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, th this would be prime glade area because of the, the reasons you mentioned. It's just not that steep and it's approachable by, by virtually everybody. Um, you know, we, most of the land we, is already owned by us. It's just the bottom maybe 20% that we don't own um, that, that would be on Forest Service land. So, um, yes, we would definitely plan to develop glades in between the runs, all those runs there. And what's the vertical drop over there off the backside of Eagle? Oh, it's about uh, 500-ish. Oh, that's nice. That's really nice. And what kind of lift are you thinking? Um, you know, that one could potentially be a fixed grip uh, uh, four-place chair. It's just it's not that long, and it works pretty well for, for beginners. Um, so, I don't know. I'd like to have every lift be a high-speed lift, but um, not sure that we'll... Uh, be able to accomplish that right away. So, so those two pods are what I'm looking at at the, at the version of the expansion plan um, from last year. Are, are there others that are in the works? You said you eliminated the idea of of the pods off the backside of moose, but are there other areas you're looking at building trails, or is it is it concentrated to those two areas? It's concentrated at, in in those areas, and really the that front side of of moose is is massive. It's uh, you know it's a that ridge line is three miles long, and the existing the existing terrain is is only on about three quarters of, of that ridge line. Wow. There's also beyond ski terrain and lifts. There's some proposals for some new buildings, some new facilities. Can you talk about those and how that would change the whole complex? Well, what we really um, need right now is a, is a is a lift by our parking. About half our skiers right now uh, park in what's a very remote parking lot, and then we have to shuttle them to, to the main base area where the gondola is and that kind of thing. What we would, we would abandon that, uh, that parking lot and move the parking over to the new beginner lift that I mentioned before. Um, and so people would just be able to walk to a, to a, new, a new chalet where they could get tickets and rentals and, and go up the mountain and either you know, if they're beginners, stay there. Um, but if they're not, ski down and take the gondola over to Moose Mountain. And uh, eventually, we we hope to build a, a another base area at the, at the bottom of, of Moose Mountain. But that's that's a big project uh, involving a new road, and uh, I think that's you know many years down the road. As I was reading through this, Charles, one thing I thought was really interesting is that you. Uh, you drew you draw your water directly from Lake Superior, and I, I think that's the largest freshwater body in the world. And it's it's funny as I talk to skier operators, a lot of them have water issues and they can't find water. Obviously, uh, you have no shortage of water there, and even though you get a lot of snow, as you mentioned at Lucent, you still do need to make it sometimes. Um, do you have any kind of limitations? Is that something that has to be considered? How much water you're going to draw from Superior to be able to cover all this terrain? Um, you know, the, the size of Lake Superior is, is just vast. And so the amount of water that we're taking out is, is very small. We, until, you know, a few years ago, we, we were taking our water out of the river that runs through the ski area and it's not a very big river. Um, and it's a designated trout stream uh, as well. So that was partly the impetus was to get off that trout stream and to, to have, a source like Lake Superior. So that's worked really well for us. And I think that we're in a, 
in a very good position in terms of not being able to not, not having to impact negatively uh, the environment to take the water that we need uh, for the expansion as well. So it was really just an engineering problem. How do you, how do you get the pipes down to feed off of Lake Superior? Yeah, it was an engineering problem and we had to get easements and, um, um, you know, the DNR really wanted us to get off, off the river because of that designation and because of the, the flow limitations. And it, it, it was not great for us either. The, the river runs very fast and there's a lot of sediment in the river. Um, you know, there's been a huge improvement in the quality of the snow uh, from, from taking it from the river, which also kind of had uh, th- these tannins in it. It was kind of brownish color like a lot of the lakes are up there. I mean, it's, it's a natural tannin, it's like a dye almost, but from the evergreen trees, et cetera. And, um, but the, from Lake Superior, you know, it makes whiter than white snow. It's beautiful. So where are you at with this expansion? I, the last I saw this was, um, it sounds like you're negotiating with the Forest Service, but, but where are you at in the process and what is it going to take to actually make this happen? Oh, no, we're not negotiating with the Forest Service. I mean, they have their process and they, they wanted us to make some changes, uh, like, as I mentioned before, in terms of not, not having runs on the backside and changing the layout on the, the front side of, of Moose. Um, but they are going through their process. Uh, my understanding is that they're getting close to uh, issuing a draft uh, EIS, um, environmental impact statement within the next month. Um, and, um, you know, we're looking forward to receiving that and, and, uh, responding to that, but we're, we're, we're optimistic. It's a, it's a long process. The forest service has other priorities like the forest fires that are occurring up here as well as around the country. Um, so, uh, it's been a, it's been a good process. Yeah, I saw that Boundary Waters was closed, uh, at least last week it was, for, from a wildfire. Yes, it's, it's, it's still closed. Um, but uh, it rained uh, the last few days, and uh, I think that that fire may be getting closer to being more contained. So if everything, just going back to the expansion here, if everything went optimally, what would be the timeline that you'd be looking at to actually open some of these runs, put in some of these lifts, actually get going on this expansion. I know it sounds like it's a, a multi-generational project, but but w- when is the earliest you anticipate you, that we could actually see and ski some of this stuff? Um, you know, realistically, it's probably the the year after after next year. Um, you know, if things go optimally, it could be. A, approved on a final basis sometime next spring, but probably not with the certainty that we would need to, um, you know, to start planning specifically and uh, to, you know, uh, obtaining more financing, et cetera. And what is your priority? What, what do your priorities look like, Charles? So if you, if you got approval tomorrow, what would you start on first? What would you want to open um, and kind of in what order? Well, the, the priority is going to be the beginner lift that I mentioned before and establish a new base area so that people can walk uh, to the base area instead of being shuttled. So that would involve uh, installing a new lift and clearing those runs as well as um, uh, clearing parking and uh, building um, some kind of a, a, a building um, to, to, to sell tickets and rentals and to have some warm, warming 
capability and food and beverage. And then with the Moose Mountain expansions, would you look at doing that in, in pods, distinct pods by, by year? Maybe do one one summer, one the next? Or, or how are you thinking about approaching that? I think it's going to be, be take longer than, than, you know, one lift per summer uh, kind of thing. But, uh, you know, every, every few years is what, if things went really well and, and customers responded and came in large numbers, um, that, that would be the kind of pace. But as I said before, I think it's really, you know, for full, full build out, it's a, it's a project for, for the next generation. Now, Lutz and skiers have to be very excited about this. So let's talk about Granite Peak here. You've owned Granite Peak since 2000. When did the opportunity come up to purchase that ski area and what made this a compelling opportunity for you? Um, well, I think I just uh, received a request for proposal um, maybe 97 or 98. And um, I just, it came across my desk. I looked at it. It, it said at the time that they wouldn't allow any expansion at all, so I just kind of put it away because the ski area just wasn't wasn't feasible to go forward as a as a viable ski area without making some improvements to the to the runs and to the lifts. Um, but then the, a couple of years later, they they sent out another one, um, and this one allowed uh, an expansion. Um, it kind of in accordance with a, a plan that SE Group had done 20 years earlier. And, and, and that looked more interesting to me. So I, I responded and, um, you know, Granite Peak has the, you know, the highest vertical by a fair margin in, in that region, uh, you know, 700 feet. Um, you know, there's some other ones that, that are more like four or 500. So it's, it's, it has a significant advantage over, over all of its, and it's it's close it's close to population centers. It's you know three and a half four hours from uh, Chicago. It, it, the transformation since you purchased it, Charles, is just remarkable. If someone ripped Van Winkle here from the '90s, they would not recognize the place. Talk about what Granite Peak looked like when you took ownership back in 2000. Well, it um, it was a tired tired ski area, particularly the base area. I mean, it had this beautiful stone lodge, which still existed, but the other buildings that were kind of around it uh, were quite dilapidated. Um, really, there was just one other building. Um, but that's that building housed everything else, but you know the rentals and the tickets and the ski school and the ski patrol, et cetera. And uh, that 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 looks very poor. And even the, the, the old historic, uh, stone chalet was in very poor shape. Um, and the lifts were looking tired and old as well. And the train I, I felt was just really unbalanced the way it was. It was just kind of this clump of wide runs right above the chalet that just didn't have much interest. And so, um, what I envisioned um, and what SE Group had drawn was, you know, kind of these these uh, eastern pod and a western pod um, that would be narrower and more like, you know, kind of eastern style runs. Um, and, um, you know, that's that's what we've done. And that's what's uh, has worked really well. What's impressive with Granite Peak and with Lutzen is just the ability to make the transformation happen. I think there's a lot of ski area master plans collecting dust out there, but, but you seem to have this ability to bring them alive and, 
and really make these ski areas into something that really doesn't have any equal elsewhere in the Midwest. So talk about this a little bit. As you stepped into Granite Peak, you already had a decade under your belt running Lutzen. How did that experience kind of help you prioritize and figure out how to get things done? Because it's when you look at it now, I mean, you have three high speed lifts. It's a, it's a sprawling, massive mountain. It's an interesting mountain. It has lots of glades, it has lots of trails, like you said, um, and you want to make it even bigger, which we'll talk about in a minute. But but how, how did you take that experience you had from transforming Lutzen over a decade and, and, and let that affect this transformation at Granite Peak? Well, you know, you know, essentially at Granite Peak, it was just um, there was really no choice but to kind of start over again. Um, all of the infrastructure was in poor shape. And um, so the concept, I think, from the very beginning was just, OK, you know, if you were envisioning a, a ski area, um, you know, what would it look like? Uh, and so it was, you know, honestly, it was it was just a lot of fun to 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 have the freedom to um to, to almost make a new ski area uh, from what was a very old ski area, but to just to replace all the lifts and replace the buildings or upgrade them other than the um, historic chalet, which, you know, just was, it's beautiful stone chalet. And we built a new, a new, a brand new bigger chalet right next to it and kind of created this, uh, this skiers courtyard at the, at the base of the ski area. Uh, you know, pave the parking lot, landscaped it. Just, you know, it's been a lot of fun. As remarkable as the transformation has been, Charles, you are far from done. I actually had a really good conversation with Greg Fisher, your general manager over at Granite Peak earlier this year, just a couple of months ago. Um, and, and we talked all things Granite Peak, but but we actually talked before this latest expansion proposal came out. So tell us what, what is in that expansion proposal? What is your vision for Granite Peak? Well, I think the the vision is, you know, like for Lutzen is to create a ski area that's that's big enough to to continue to attract uh, destination ski areas from Chicago or you know as far away as St. Louis, and um, you know to have a train for everybody in the family at Granite Peak. The uh, we have a a lot of beginner train, but none of it goes to the top of the mountain. So um, we've got some great beginner train, but it it only goes up. Uh, uh, a couple, a few hundred vertical. So we have a lot of beginner skiers, uh, more than at Lutzen. And, um, you know, they, they come to Granite Peak and they, they have a good experience, but they have no variety. They can't, they, they never make it to the top of the mountain because it's too steep. And um, so a large part of what we're trying to do, the, 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 what, the new Western uh, terrain um, is, is it has a grade that would allow beginners to, to ski all the way from the, from the top of the mountain down to the bottom. So that's a, a big improvement. And we would also add the ability to ski across the mountain, um, um, as well. So they could go from one side of the mountain to, to another. So that's probably the, the biggest accomplishment of, of, of the, of the terrain. In addition, um, the base area that we currently have is, is full and there's just no room for expansion. So we would create a second base area um, over at the bottom of these new Western runs. And, um, and then we're also would like to install a combination gondola chairlift uh, for those Western runs. The version I'm looking at here has three lifts 
on in that three different little trail pods and three lifts in that western area which one would be the chairlift gondola combination it would be the one right above the um the base area okay so the center one the center one yes and is the vertical drop over there we're looking at 700 feet like the rest of the mountain yes it's in that in that general vicinity it looks like all, like you said, pretty gentle terrain. I, I'd imagine you uh, would want to glade in between those as well. And then you have uh, on the other side, um, you have a, a what's marked as Lift K on the version I'm looking at here. You have another little pod of, of blue runs. Just talk about that potential expansion pod over there. It looks a little shorter vertical-wise. Yeah, that's a, a little bit shorter. And um, that would, you know, it's 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 uh, kind of intermediate or or maybe upper intermediate for for the population of skiers that, that, that we have. And uh, that kind of finishes out the, the more advanced terrain that we have at, at Granite Peak and uh, would just give some more variety. And um, it's, it's very nice terrain over there. And it looks like you want to change out the blitz and lift. What do you have in mind for that? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to, to have all high speed lifts at, at Granite Peak and, and uh, so I think we would replace Blitzen with a high-speed lift. Uh, right now, that lift has a has a mid-station in it. And then we would also put in a fixed-grip lift that would serve the uh, the beginner train at the bottom there along with a, a new ski school building and, and um, that would serve that lift. Um, so we would have two lifts instead of, instead of one, a high-speed lift that went all the way to the top, um, and a, a new high capacity, probably a fixed grip because it's not, it's just not very long, um, to serve the beginner terrain and get rid of that mid station. Yes. And it would, the, uh, the new beginner lift would move, would move over. So it wouldn't be coming out of the base area. The existing base area would be, it would be on the fall line. It would move to the East. And then over on the west side, you said one of those would be a, a combination chair gondola, which usually are six packs. Do you think those others would be, you'd be looking at high speed quads for those? Um, yes, if yes, I, I'd like to be able to afford all high speed lifts over there. And then off the back side, you have a really interesting part of this proposal, and I'm, I'm only focused on the. I know there's four different versions, but I'm focused on the most expansive one, which is alternative four. Um, there's a mountain bike only pod. And this is a very interesting concept. Talk about your vision back there and why that would be exclusively for mountain bikers. Well, it's, you know, I would say it's less my vision and it's really the vision of the kind of the mountain bike community. Um, I think that, um, that that would provide a, an experience, you know, completely in the forest, uh, for, for mountain bikers, um, that terrain uh, faces south, uh, so it's it would be very poor ski terrain, and it also goes through some some areas that that I think environmentally uh, would be better off not um, not having ski runs. What's the vertical drop back there? It looks like a pretty long lift. I think it's only a few hundred feet. Um, the vertical drop all the way down to the bottom would be the same as or similar, you know, 600 feet probably, because I think that that is a little higher on that side of the mountain. But I don't think that lift goes all the way down presently. Uh, I don't think the currently the Forest Service, I mean, the DNR doesn't own all the land at the bottom. So I think, I think this one just goes 
um, most of the way down. Well, it's an incredible plan, very ambitious, very exciting for Granite Peak skiers if it happens. Uh, it seems like you're in the beginning phases of this. And as I understand it, the initial public comment period ended on July 14th. Uh, do, do you, is that accurate? And do you have a sense of how that public comment period went? Um, I, th- I think it went well. I mean, there's um, a lot of attention to any kind of expansion of terrain, you know, particularly in this case, it's in it's in a, in a state park. We're the only ski area in a state park in Wisconsin. Um, so from that standpoint, it's a little bit unusual. But I, I think the, the comments, there's lots of support. And um, there were, you know, also, you know, people that were opposed to it as well. So what's the next step here, Charles? And, and, and what's your timeline look like? When's the soonest we could possibly see lift spinning on this new terrain? Well, it, it all depends on, on what the you know, the, the state of Wisconsin approves or, or doesn't approve. But I think they're working through their process and we hope to see uh, what they are going to recommend uh, within the next um, month or so. And, um, um, you know, I think it's a similar time frame over the next year or nine months. I, I hope that we work through the process and, that uh, we're able to move forward with whatever version the, the DNR supports. And what's your priority for Granite Peak? If you got this approved tomorrow, what would you be looking to build first? You know, I, the scale of the of beginning the Western is is so large that, um, you know, I, I think it would, I would prefer to start something over there. Uh, uh, but, you know, what might be uh, more feasible would be to uh, change around the the beginner area. Um, um, so we might put in that that fixed grip lift first, and uh, as a as smaller bite sized project. So this is the the second big expansion effort in the last decade or so. A, a previous master plan kind of fizzled out a few years back. What went wrong with that proposed expansion, Charles? And how do you make sure the history doesn't repeat itself here, and you're able to move forward? Well, you know, there's, you know, as I said, we're the only ski area on state land in, in Wisconsin. And so it's, um, there's been a ch- couple changes in, in who's been governor. For a while, there was, uh, there was no DNR secretary. Um, and uh, while they were waiting for confirmation, kind of the same thing has been happening at the federal level. So, it, you know, part of it was just kind of that, political process. Um, and then the, the second piece of it, which is probably more important, I mean, the G- Granite Peak or Rib Mountain when it started in the 1930s has always been a community uh, a community ski area. The, the, the whole impetus for even forming the park was to form the ski area. And, and during the early years, a majority of the park was, was, was the ski area. And all of that came from kind of the Chamber of Commerce of, of Wausau. And uh, th- when when I took over, there was also kind of this delayed process of allowing the um, the ski area to expand uh, in the way that I ended up expanding it. But all of that political um, push to kind of have the the state agree to um, to you know to an expansion has has always come from the community. And so this time around, the community um, 
you know, and really kind of an offshoot of, again, of the, of the chamber of commerce is, has really taken the lead on, on moving forward the, the, the process. So I think that's the biggest difference. Whereas before we were kind of, uh, pushing the process and it, it really takes the community to to back the to back an expansion like this so it sounds like you're in a good place with that I'll, I'll, I'll be watching that very closely and and excited to see that unfold over the next several years uh, let's talk about passes here a little bit charles your your two mountains you do actually have a joint season pass for them even though they're about five hours apart uh, is this a popular offering with your pass holders do you find that that you have folks who like to commute between or or is this just a, a small group that um, is willing to travel that much? Well, we'll we'll see. I mean, this is really kind of the first time we, we've really rolled rolled out, rolled it out. The the two areas have really different market areas, you know, in terms of where our skiers come from. Uh, the skiers for for Lutzen come from five hours away in Minneapolis, and the skiers uh, from Granite Peak uh, come, you know, the destination skiers come mostly from Chicago, and those are largely not overlapping markets. Uh, um, Lutzen is, you know, more than eight hours from, from Chicago, for example. So I think it's, it's going to be more of a, a smaller number uh, of, of, of skiers, but um, I think it's an important product to have. It seems like the prices of your season passes have ticked up in, in recent years. Can you just talk about uh, the, the pricing pressure and, and how you've decided to price those each season? Well, I, I think it's important um, to have a balance between the price of the daily passes and 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 the and the season passes. So we've been trying to uh, to price them in a way that uh, you know is 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 fair and and beneficial, fair to skiers and and beneficial to us. It creates a balance, uh, you know, strikes the right balance. Last year, Granite Peak and Lutzen both jumped onto the Indy Pass. That was your inaugural season there. Uh, take us into your decision to join the Indy Pass, Charles, and how did that first year go? I think it went very, very well. Um, both both ski, ski areas were amongst the highest uh, uses, uh, you, know, you, you know, even across the, the nation. And, um, you know, and that's despite having some blackout dates and, and that kind of thing. So I, I think that, you know, the Indy Pass was very happy with us, and, and we were quite happy with being a part of it. Uh, I like the brand, the independent ski area brand. I think it fits well for, for both of our ski areas. This year, you've really upped the blackout dates for both Lutzen and Granite Peak on the Indy Base Pass. There's, of course, a plus pass that has no blackouts. Uh, this blacks out most Saturdays in midwinter. Take us into your decision, Charles, to ramp up the number of blackout days on the Indy Pass. Well, both ski areas were, were at capacity. Um, in terms of the number of daily tickets that, that we were selling last year, because of because of COVID, we 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 reduced that those capacities somewhat. Um, but we liked that experience uh, for our customers, and our customers liked it too, of, of limiting capacity. So you're not uh, you're not you're not overcrowded on on the lifts or in the in the base the base facility. So we're going to continue with with kind of a somewhat lower capacity than than what we've allowed in the past. And in order to do that, I, I, I think that we need to, um, you know, to, to limit the number of, of, of pass holders that can come as well. And so that's been received well. I mean, people, once they know what the blackout dates are, they just work around what they are. 
and come come other times. So this is your latest foray into the into the multi-pass world, but you actually have a long history with this. So so Granite Peak and Lutzen were on the Max Pass. Uh, which offered five days at a bunch of different ski areas all around the country. And that coalition, which was grounded in IntraWest, Boyne, and Powder, actually evolved into the Icon Pass. Um, so Granite Peak and Lucent were on the Max Pass, but then when it evolved to the Icon Pass, they were not part of that coalition. Why didn't Granite Peak and Lucent join the Icon Pass? Well, I think that uh, the, you know that was really determined by Altera. And at that time, they had just you know, done a series of acquisitions and had this you know, they had a lot of work to do in, in, in putting all their ski areas together. So when they when they took over, they were most concerned about just trying to make it work for their their collection of resorts. And um, you know, they weren't they weren't also the you know the technology behind it wasn't theirs. It was uh, it was you know interwest technology. So there were a lot of uncertainties, and uh, they wanted to focus primarily just on making sure it worked for, for their collection of resorts. You know, Charles, I have to say, I, I don't think that either Vail or Altera really understands the Midwest. If you look at their offerings, the Icon Pass has Boyne Mountain and Boyne Highlands. I think they probably just added those because Boyne owns Big Sky and they wanted that. And then you look at, at Vail and they have some Midwestern resorts, but there's just these little areas, these suburban ski areas around cities. I don't think they understand the value of the Midwest as having these regional destinations that folks really do go to in the Midwest to spend a weekend, to spend a week at. That's my position on it. But as someone who owns the two largest ski areas in the Midwest, do you think that that these mega passes are missing an opportunity by overlooking the Midwest? Um, you know, kind of yes and no. I, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. I, I don't think that they, um, you know, really fully value the the uh, regional destination areas in the in the Midwest in the same way that you know you or you or I might. But on the other hand, you know a lot of Midwest ski, skiers already and have for decades gone out to these Western resorts that are now owned by Vail Resorts and and Altera. So I think to some extent, even without owning ski areas in the Midwest, that they're already getting you know and with their past structures are already getting a lot of visits from. Um, from Midwest skiers. You know, there's an interesting dynamic here, and you talk about this a lot, Charles, in interviews I've seen with you, is that you, you've you often said that what you consider to be your competition for Lutzen and Granite Peak skiers is these actual Western destinations. What do you mean by that? And how would these expansions help you do it to be more competitive against these Western places? Well, I think the expansions help us gain a larger market share. Um, of people who are considering going on a west uh, on a on a on a trip that's not just um, one day, so you know I mean Lutzen is almost a hundred percent destination skiers because of our location you know near Canada, uh, five hours from from Minneapolis, and uh, Granite Peak has a large part of its skiers from you know three four five hours away as well too so. If you if you think about those people that are living those distances away, I mean they can they can get in an airplane, they can go out west and 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 have that experience, or they can get in the car and and drive to a ski area like Lutzen or Granite Peak. And you know, for both ski areas, uh, even even for Granite Peak, but you know, obviously for Lutzen, I mean that's uh, we're 
almost exclusively a destination ski area. So we need to have have the, the number of runs, the variety, uh, trained for everybody in the family and plenty of it um, so that we can continue to draw skiers from, from those distances. So you have these two giant ski areas and you've really built them out and, and you're far from done. Would you ever consider buying more ski areas, Charles? Are, are, are there, is there a chance there's other ski areas in the Midwest where you could apply this template where you take a, a smaller ski area and you just expand it very deliberately over time? Or, or are you happy with the portfolio you have right now? Well, possibly. I mean, I'm pretty familiar with, you know, most of the other ski areas in the Midwest and, um, you know, the, the expansions that we're contemplating at, at Lutzen and Granite Peak are, you know, really big expansions and very expensive. And there's, there's a lot to do. There's more lodging to build at, at probably at both ski areas, but particularly at Granite Peak. So, you know, just the size and scope of it is, is certainly plenty of capital. Um, and and I, I think that the, the physical characteristics of both ski areas, that the, the investments are going to um, benefit the skiers more uh, at those two areas than, you know, buying another ski area and, and adding lifts and, and runs at, at, uh, at, at other possible ski areas. Have you thought about the future at all, Charles? You've mentioned several times this is a, a multi-generational family ski area, Lutzen, and then, you know, obviously you've owned Granite Peak for a couple of decades now. What do you think happens to these mountains long term? Do you think family ownership is is uh, is possible? Yeah, at least in, in our case. I mean, I, I think that ski areas of our size, um, you know, small, medium size are, are really best operated as multi-generational family businesses. It's you know, there's a learning curve to understanding um, your market. I mean, really, it's it's more complicated than than it would than it would seem. But I mean, I, I think that 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 passing on uh, the ski area to you know, for example, I have two daughters, uh, and I hope that one or both of them gets involved is really the best route for ski areas of our size. And do they have any interest in in doing so? Yeah, I think that they both. You know, one in particular. Um, has, has a very strong interest and is, is wanting to go into the business. She just got her MBA and is working uh, for VMware and finance uh, to gain some experience. But she's, uh, she's already working at Granite Peak, and I think it's a, a perfect complement uh, to a seasoned veteran like Greg Fisher to, to, you know, to have a, a, a plan of, of stable ownership from a family uh, you know, continuing to a next generation. All right. Well, sounds like uh, there'll be a, a very bright future for both mountains. And um, just like the expansions, I'm, I'll am i be following that and, and wishing the best to you and your family. Before I let you go, though, Charles, you've got a bit of an adventure coming up. What can you tell us about that? Well, my wife and I are embarking on a, on a sailboat trip that will take us um, hopefully around the world in, in about two and a half years, which is a nice pace on a sailboat. You don't want to be sailing 100% of the time. And it's uh, it's something that I've always wanted to do. Um, I really enjoy, we've been sailing for a few years in the Mediterranean, and I, I really feel that um, that seeing the world from ports, uh, which is where um, you know most of the transportation ex- has existed for centuries, is really an, an amazing way to see the world. And I, I'd like to to see it before, while it still exists, 
you know, the way it exists now and, and is not further changed, uh, um, you know, environmentally, et cetera, uh, in the future years. When are you setting off for that trip? In, a, in about a month. That's, that's exciting. Are, are you going straight for 30 months? Are you going to, I guess the question everybody listening to this podcast probably has is, is are you really going to not ski for two and a half years? Oh, no. It, and, and that's what I, attracts us to this particular trip. Other, tri- other trips uh, do it in less than half the time. And uh, this one will have lots of time where we can go back and forth and leave our boat wherever it is at the time and come back and go skiing and uh, to attend to our businesses and other commitments. Beautiful. Well, that sounds like quite an adventure, Charles. I, I wish you the best of luck, uh, both on that trip with your wife and, and with the ski areas and everything else. I cannot thank you enough for your time today and for uh, t- dealing working through the tech glitches. So uh, thank you so much and best of luck to you. Yeah, take care. It's been great talking to you as well. Thank you. That's Charles Skinner of Lutzen Mountains and Granite Peak. If that guy doesn't own your local bump, you probably wish he did. Really, really incredible what he's built there in the Midwest. Thank you so much for that, Charles. And thank you all for listening. If you haven't done so already, you have to go subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. That is the engine that drives this whole thing. Hey, did you get the email I sent out the other day detailing every single ski season pass in America? If you're only following me on Spotify or iTunes or wherever, you missed it. Get in on the email list. I will make sure that it's worth your time. You can also follow along on Twitter or Instagram at Storm Ski Journal. You can also find the storm on Facebook. Thank you all for listening. Stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.